the Chair 2 Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Danny Smith and Ben South. If you lead from the second chair or you work with those who do, this is a place for you. We're glad you're here for conversations about the church, ministry, life, and how we can serve better for God's kingdom. Welcome back to another episode of Chair 2 Leaders. We're glad to have you listening in this week. Danny Smith is over in another time zone with us here today. Danny, how are you? Hey, Ben, I'm good. And, uh, you know, this is, you've heard of the triple-double in basketball. This is the triple time zone stat for podcast today because I'm out here in the Mountain West. You're rocking in the Central, and then uh, we've got a guest on from the East Coast. So that's uh, Eastern time zone there. That's right. Maybe we need to try and do the the four time zone episode one day and get all four of them going. And we might even get somebody out in Hawaii. I don't know. You know, that would be the Lala Palooza. Am I using that phrase right? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I don't even know what phrase you're using. Honestly, I don't either. And I feel like that that should work. But then again, that could be a terrible uh, miss, uh, miss quote here down the road. So we'll know pretty soon. So I don't, uh, I'll use it in front of my kids. My kids will tell me if I'm right or wrong. They're, <laughs> they're always like that. Please don't ever say that again. So, you know, I say those things sometimes. I'm like, did I just say a bad word? I don't know if I should yeah, that's say right. that or not. So <laughs> that's exactly right. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of fun. I fully have embraced the having teenagers and saying things specifically just to get them to cringe a little bit. See, I just used one of their words. Uh, in lingo, and it's a lot of fun. I fully embrace that. Yes, that, I and mean, that's part of our role is to embarrass them as parents. A hundred percent, absolutely. My, it is. my daughter, she's fourteen, and she'll look at me and say, "Dad, you're embarrassing me with what you're with what you're saying." I said, "Oh no, dear, I have not even begun to embarrass you yet." <laughs> I mean, if, if you I need to turn to, that on, that's right. I can <laughs> turn that on anytime. This so, is not embarrassing. <laughs> so. I somewhat have a uh, script waiting just for that time I need to. So. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well, hopefully today we don't embarrass too many people or our families that's too right. much. But we've got a guest who is with us today. We're glad to have him joining us. He is pastor and a writer, author, and a I know him mostly from Twitter and his takes on baseball and uniforms and athletics and those kind of things. So uh, we're glad to have Dean and Sarah with us today. Dean, welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Good to be with you all. Well, Dean, for those who may not know you or have kept up with you, give us just a brief introduction of yourself, your ministry, and what God is doing with you. Yeah, well, I'm not in Wyoming, unfortunately, uh, but... I, I uh, am on the worst time zone, East East time, worst time, is what I like to say. My night football starts way too late, so does the Final Four. Uh, but I'm pastor in my hometown, uh, which is a pretty neat privilege and opportunity. I planted a church here uh, with about 20 people 15 years ago that's seen just incredible things happen since then in Tallahassee, which is state capital. Also, uh, two large universities, one HBCU school. And then Florida State, which is very well known. Florida A&M and Florida State are our two schools here. And I've been married for 18 years. And we have three kids, two boys and a girl, a high schooler, uh, fifth grade and second grade. And I am just someone that really has a passion to reach my hometown, people I grew up with, but also uh, to really see people reach and break through what I, what I think is one of the biggest mission fields in America, which is cultural Christianity. And by that, I mean people that are Christians by culture rather than by actually the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I think that is something that the Lord has just kind of set us up to do here in our city, and that just will get me fired up. So I'm really excited to do a podcast with you guys. I appreciate y'all speaking to leaders all across the country, and uh, hopefully we can chime in and 
to give something that's worth their time. I'm sure it will be. Now, a couple of your books that you've had out, one is The Unsaved Christian, and the next one was Getting Over Yourself. I think those came back-to-back from each other. I was talking to Danny before we started recording. I think I almost, as I read them, saw them as almost sequels. One was almost a sequel to the other. One was maybe more the church focus, and the other was, hey, individually, maybe. Um, I don't know if you intended that, or maybe I'm way off base. As I read them, that's how I interpret them, kind of as a almost a let's continue this and maybe make it a little more even individually personalized how we live this out. But I wanted to just kind of talk about some of those themes that you express through that book. For us as leaders, and especially those in the chair too, what are some things that you see us needing to do in our ministries to combat either cultural Christianity and then maybe even the the self-help and the uh, prosperity gospel that is so prevalent among believers? Yeah, well, in terms of unsaved Christians, I, I named the book that because a lot of people would claim to be Christians in our country all across America, not just in the South where I live, uh, but really all over the place. And by the way, they just mean they're not atheists or not agnostics or they're not a part of another world religion like Judaism or Islam. Uh, and their reason for claiming they're Christians has nothing to do with actually saving faith. So I think the first thing we need to do is see cultural Christianity not as a discipleship issue, but actually as an evangelism issue. And where a second chair can come into play here is how many of our evangelism training methods in our local churches are all designed for atheists or agnostics who are skeptics. When most of our context, I believe, and I say most, and I mean that confidently, are people we already know who think they're Christians and they're not. And again, I'm not a judge of who's a Christian, nor do I want to be, but the scriptures are. And Jesus says that many will say to him on that day, on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform miracles in your name? And he said, I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. You know, away from me, you workers of lawlessness, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. I think that's still our mission field today. It's not a coincidence that just a few verses before that, he talked about the wide road and the narrow road. And the example he gives is not a rant about unbelief. It's a rant about this kind of generic theism, performance-based religion that's not anchored in Christ. So I would encourage second chair leaders uh, to rethink in staff meetings and strategic conversations over lunch with the pastor, with others in the church, like what are our, are our evangelism strategies actually equipping people through evangelism to what actually is in our community? You know, because the majority of people in almost every place in America are not atheists and agnostics. That doesn't mean they're Christians either, but they think they are, and they're simply not. Uh, and then when it comes to the second book, uh, we talked about uh, this kind of new self-help gospel. I think they seem to be on guard towards it, not in some like legalistic Theo bro, as I call it, kind of way, uh, but rather uh, in a way that understands that so many people are having this new prosperity gospel approach where they believe that God exists to basically help them make their dreams come true and to make them happy. And it's a Christianity that isn't as concerned about Jesus as it is about personal fulfillment. And we see God often as our life coach. And we just got to make sure we're not preaching sermons like that. You know, we're not in the name of pragmatism that is trying to tickle people's ears with the latest self-help craze of the day, but rather actually point them to the truth of the gospel and what it means to deny themselves and follow Christ. And I think it's really a big temptation out there to want to preach these kind of ear-tickling sermons. I'm not saying they go up there with a sledgehammer. I'm saying rather we talk about the grace of God understood in Jesus rather than this kind of quasi-Christianity that makes Jesus sort of a genie in a bottle uh, for us to help us, our wellness goals and, and those type of things. So we got a lot of issues right now going on. And I don't write these books to be critical, rather to wake us up to what's happening 
and hopefully have the church be equipped to do ministry in those realities. So if we go to let maybe look at the unsaved Christian book and some of those themes there first. Let's let's take it specifically. Let's dive down maybe in student ministry if somebody's in that area. What are some of those things? maybe that you see from a traditional youth ministry, the things we do, how we approach it that are just, we're just assuming that Christianity and assuming that, hey, they're believers or we're assuming they're all atheistic, agnostic, not believers at all. And I think sometimes we just kind of miss that middle group of people and we, we assume they're there and they know, but they're really not. And our just a whole approach to ministry to reaching those types of people uh, as far as even programming activities, what do you see are some tips maybe for those who are looking to reach that group of people? Yeah, well, you want to make sure that we're not doing the very thing that we criticize our Catholic friends for doing, right? Which is seeing spiritual milestones in your life of significance as kind of a rite of passage. You know, so we want to make sure we're baptizing students that actually really do believe. Mm-hmm. You know, the gospel presentation that we're giving them is not simply a pray this prayer and you're fine. But we actually explain what the gospel is to students. We also realize this is probably the first generation of student pastors that are having to deal with the reality of people who claim to be Christians and don't think local church matters. So I think we need to really realize when we evaluate student ministries that there's really an uphill battle for a lot of student guys because they're trying to reach kids that's, that parents don't prioritize the church. And if they don't drive, I mean, the expectations can only be so high. Uh, but I still think it's a great place for student ministry in our local churches. But I think we have to realize that we are combating a lostness that is kind of clothed in cult and this kind of idea of, oh, we're pro-Jesus. But really what that means is they just want their kids to be good people. And while it's great on this earth to be good people, we know that our morals don't save us. See, a big marker of cultural Christianity is, hey, I'm a good person. I'm fine. So we have to, in our preaching, in our curriculum, in our small group studies, to deconstruct, and I mean this in a good way, not in the current Twitter crazy way, <laughs> deconstruct this idea people have that, hey, I'm a good person, so I'm fine. I can so, see Twitter yeah. now saying, yes, Dean and Sarah is for deconstruction. That's <laughs> well, right. that's, well, hey, you got to watch out for jabronis all the time. That's so, right. uh, probably, probably people who like Oregon football uniforms too, so it's kind of the same person. So, so I, um, I think that we have to really take that apart. So almost every sermon that I preach, not just to a student crowd, I'm talking about to an adult crowd, I have in mind the fact there's people everywhere who simply think they're fine they have a generic belief in God, and they see themselves to be good people. And we have to take that apart in their minds and hold up the good news of the gospel. It's like you got to get kids lost in order to get them saved. And that should plans for that's the same for adults, too. Yeah, one of the quotes in the book says, you said in the cultural Christianity, especially in the Bible Belt, is where Christian practices don't have to be attached to actual Christian beliefs in our yeah. culture where you can have the practices, but you don't have the beliefs for the practices for us to think you have it. How can we start to tie belief to the practice? I, I, we all know we should, and really the practice should come as a result of the belief, but we all also know there are a lot of people who can go through the motions without having that foundation of the belief behind it. And we see that when lives fall apart, when trouble, when trouble hits, when circumstances change and everything seems to just come crashing down because there is no belief behind all these practices. How can we start to wed those two together maybe in a better, stronger way? Yeah, you know, we have both worlds. You know, we have the belief of no practice. You know, we used to call that hypocrisy, you know, but now we have also this whole practice without belief. And 
again, I think it's what we're teaching and preaching. We have to make sure that the message we're not lifting up is simply behave this way, right? It, it's, it's here who Jesus is. And I think our affections have to grow for Christ. And so I think we really have to make sure that in our preaching, in our, in our small group discussions, in our Chick-fil-A discussions, you know, that we're sitting there and we're helping people understand that the Christian faith is about loving the one who first loved us. And, and, and I think that's got to happen because if our affections aren't growing, then we're going to be people like one of the churches in you know, the book of Revelation, the seven churches where, you know, John tell, or Jesus actually through the, through the apostle John, you know, tells them you seem alive, but you're dead on the inside. You know I mean? How often is that, is that taking place? So I think we got to get back to that. Hey, we love the one who first loved us, you know, because God loved us. That's what's driving now our faith is responding to that love, that good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for sinners through his death and resurrection, rather than Christianity simply being about clean this up, shake this up, knock this off. I don't want the Pharisees to win in how we define discipleship. And a lot of things the Pharisees did were good things, but they based their standing with God on those good things rather than basing it on what Jesus had done for them. So I think that we just got to make sure that we're not creating models that allow the Pharisees to win. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. And, you know, being out, being out in Wyoming has, has helped so much in that regard because we have a very strong, well, where we're at, we have a, a strong uh, Catholic belief system. And then you certainly have a very strong Mormon belief system. And in fact, uh, one of my, favorite stories. I was talking to a guy who is uh, a Jehovah's witness and um, we were talking about something. He found out I was a pastor and, and he gave me knuckles. He's like, man, we got to stick together. You know, we got to win this world back for Christ. And so it was really good for me to hear that because it made me think through, Hey, what are we saying? What are we teaching? Do I know the gospel? Like I need to know the gospel. Then how do I incorporate that into my conversations with folks? And so being able to have that affection for Christ is really one of the mark, uh, yeah, one of the defining marks, I guess, um, of my conversation with my Mormon friends and my Catholic friends, because sometimes there's that, there's that disconnect in their own heart where they're like, well, we're trying our best. You know, it's all about approach for them. Like if I do all these good things, then, then, then it's got to be enough at the end. And when, you know, you're just loving the Lord and you're growing in him and there's a, there's a gladness in your heart for the gospel, inevitably it always leads to conversation like, where does that gladness come from? And where does that type of joy come from? Because again, in approach, if I'm trying to do enough, it's never going to measure up. But when I'm loving Jesus and I'm resting in him and trusting him, it's one of our greatest tools of sharing the gospel with deeply religious people in this part of the world. And certainly I think what's, what's interesting about it too. And you mentioned this early in the uh, podcast that it's not just the Bible belt, right? It's all over Um, over. this, uh, this, this Americanized idea. And maybe it's just a human nature thing of um, I'm good enough, right? Yeah. I know Jesus. I'm good. And uh, yeah, it's being able to define the terms to say, when we say gospel, when we say relationship with Jesus and you know, it's just been neat to see the Lord open up opportunities where people go, huh, I really, you know, it just, yeah, it's pretty interesting to see how that, uh, that conversation takes place. Yeah. Two things there. One, I want to give you a shout out because you have the most normal, plain American name I've ever seen. Danny Smith is the Penn State football uniforms of American names. Thank you. I've always thought. Shout that out to you. Okay. Thank you. 
Thank yeah. you. If I need to go into hiding, I just drop the NY and it's Dan Smith at that point. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's got are, a little you versatility. Penn, you are Penn State football. Second <laughs> Absolutely. Thing, I, I heard a seminary professor say one time, never preach a sermon that would still be true if Jesus hadn't died and risen again. Hmm. So I really want that to be a marker of my preaching and of how we understand Bible study. Like we read it through the lens of that. And I think any other thing, it's almost a different religion than Christianity. You know, a sermon that could still be true. Uh, it might be a nice TED talk, might be motivational, might be, you know, helpful for our morals and our relationships, but it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I, that's true for the, for the visitor and for the person who's been a Christian for years, because every letter of the New Testament is written in the context of that Jesus has been crucified and risen. The letters of the Old Testament are anticipating and pointing to the fact that Jesus is crucified and will one day be crucified and risen. And the Gospels are the story of Jesus being mm -hmm. leading up to those things. That is the Christian story. I want to make sure that we're clear on that because that's how we create people to see what this really is about. And I've learned that one of the best ways to reach a cultural Christian is for them to see the difference. Something as simple as inviting a cultural Christian to come to a gospel preaching church, they have to, in their mind, they're like, eh, it's a little different than on a kind of mainline Protestantism or Catholicism, whatever it might be. So sometimes actually seeing the real things helps them to see the rest of the story. Man, that's absolutely true. And I, I, I've thought about that before with some of the prosperity gospel and some of those guys who are just out there drawing a crowd on TV. And you hear them. And, and honestly, a lot of the things they say on TV, I don't necessarily disagree with. It's good, motivational, self-help with a Christian ease. It's not necessarily bad advice it's just not true it's not full advice it's not good because it, it leaves out the gospel it leaves out christ and there's it's not christianity it's not yeah. christianity and mm -hmm. you know you could say it on a you know any daytime talk show host you could say it anywhere and not many people are going to disagree with it because it does not have the gospel in it and and, and so it's it's going to become up lacking um and and so we've got a whole culture that's that way and a generation of people who have Christianity without Christ and they don't they don't need Christ in their Christianity because it's this moralistic therapeutic deism that we've all heard about and talked about just be good do good God will reward you for that um, and so we, we, we've got this culture that's in that environment and so I think that's as leaders that's one of our challenges is how do we I mean, we're almost combating the Christian culture at the same time we're we're combating the quote-unquote Christian culture, and as we're combating the secular culture with with the the true gospel, of, here's Christ, and, and and making Him center of it, and not mm. yourself center of it. Yeah, and something that just as you kind of say that, Ben, and of course, Dean, what you're what you've written about, what you're saying, I, I think sometimes too. In a cultural Christianity, we can excuse all of this away for a variety of reasons. You know, we may say something to the effect of, uh, uh, well, you know, uh, the second coming is, is coming, so people are falling away, so you know, not my problem. Or we knew it was going to be this way. I, I'm being very uh, general, obviously, but I, I think sometimes in our um, lack of, of being centered on the gospel, being um, you know, eliminating Christ from Christianity. I think sometimes that cultural aspect of it is when we, we put these layers of cultural belief systems of Christianity, or at least in Christian in nature, uh, sometimes it just keeps the, 
desire to really, I mean, the idea of thinking, wait, do I really believe the gospel or do I just believe in this cultural, cultural version up? And that's a really hard place to get people because again, we can put some layers on top of it to kind of excuse it for a variety of reasons. Do you run, I don't know, maybe you want to speak to that a little bit just because I think we're in, and here I go with it now, we're in a day and age certainly where it's just getting tougher for people to wade through all the weeds of that cultural version of Christianity to get to the real core of it. Yeah. Well, we're at a place now where you don't, you don't have to necessarily have God to see yourself as a good person. Right. And those that maybe think they have God and are good people puts up a huge barrier because, Hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual and their whole like justification for thinking they're fine is that they're not an atheist, you know, and they see themselves as good folks. So I think that the, those layers you're talking about, they need to be prepared for the long game. It drives me crazy when someone says, if you don't call for a response, when you share the gospel in a conversation, you didn't share the gospel. And come on, man. Like, like you, you, you know your friends. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. You know the timing. But there's layers to strip through sometimes. You know? So you might leave someone just having to have a million questions. And I, I think that we have to have a long game in mind here. Again, this is not the evangelism strategy that goes up to someone at a gas station and says, hey, man, if you die tomorrow, where would you go? Here's a track. Again, I'm for that. Let's get the gospel out as many ways as possible. So I'm not making fun of that. I'm not undermining that. I'm just saying that is not what's going to reach cultural Christianity. Uh, that, that, that is going to reach the person that's clueless, that's a skeptic. Keep going. Do your thing. More evangelism, not less. I just want to get that out. But I think it's important that we realize people that we know, that are in our families, that are our neighbors, that are our kids' classmates' parents, uh, that we have to realize people think they're fine, they think they're okay. It's offensive to suggest to them otherwise. Uh, they don't see themselves as sinners. They see themselves as people who make mistakes sometimes. Uh, the, 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 their, their hearts are good, they would say. Uh, they are Christian enough in their eyes. They have an activity seen on their mantle at Christmas time. Uh, and you know they, they might even say a prayer before dinner. Or they might reply on someone's Facebook post about some kind of uh, event in their life. They might say, hey, thoughts and prayers with you guys. And they probably put God bless America as their status on September 11th. You know I mean? Like, like they think they're fine. So we had to just strip, 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 strip all these things away. But keep in mind, it's a long game kind of thing. And there's definitely layers and layers we got to break through. And that is going to continually make be a fa- the fact that we have to make sure that they don't think we're saying be more like me. Yeah. Because that's going to be offensive. I think there's an issue in our culture today where it's almost going to be easier to witness to share the gospel with an unbeliever person who's not connected with the church than the believer because that person who thinks they're okay really i've heard it said many times you've got to get them lost first and so you've got to get them back to being lost before you can really share the gospel with them and let that really be planted in their life whereas someone who knows they're not a christian who knows they're not saved you've already there and so you've got some almost backtracking to do with a cultural christian yeah, there's a clear starting point with it for someone who knows they're an unbeliever. Yeah, and that 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 starting point is unbelief, right? Or atheism, agnosticism. I don't. Yeah, there is a clear starting point. Even someone another religion, if someone you know is a is a Muslim or is Jewish or like you, that's the starting point, right? You like what do they believe compared to what the Bible teaches? Uh, for a cultural Christian, you really do have to get them lost or get them saved, and it's really complicated because a, a, a cultural Christian thinks the only difference between themselves and an actual Christian is not, oh, they're a Christian and I'm not. It's, well, I'm a Christian too. You know, Danny's just really into his religion. 
that's the thing. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a Christian, I'm a spiritual person. We're good people. They tie all that together. But Danny's just really into it. So they just say, oh, I respect that. I admire that so much. Basically, you're the guy who gets asked to pray at Thanksgiving <laughs> because you say because you say good prayers. Like that's how they see the difference, truly. Or, or you know, oh, they're a pastor. They're supposed to be really serious about those yeah. things. They're, they're church people. They're church yeah. people. We're we're Christians, but we're just not where they are. I love my family. I you you always have that family that's like uh, they'll, they'll curse in front of you. Oh, sorry, you know, <laughs> they apologize, but uh, yeah, they 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 would claim to have. Anyway, yeah, no, I think there's definitely a, a lot there. And, I mean, I know there's always probably been elements of cultural Christianity, right? I mean, the Apostle Paul, I mean, in his writings, talking to churches, you know, the Corinth church and things like that. In, in your writing of the book and just things, did, did you find a point where this just seemed to really take center stage? Or is it just because of social media that we see it more? Maybe clarify this way. When do you see as the turning point in our culture where it really there became it a cultural Christianity versus this was genuine faith? Because I think this cultural Christianity came out of genuine faith in generations past. But it has – has where did it change? What, what made uh, that switch? I think a couple of things. I think once when the gospel started being assumed, and, and I think we can really point to some of the church growth movement for that where, you know, the win for a, you know, reaching what we called a unchurched person was they just came in the door, you know, so we started giving life tips and kind of pragmatism drove the day, but I think it goes back further than that. And, and I think it's, I can point a lot of it just through my research to when the mainline church really started drifting and drifting more into liberal theology, uh, because it continued to uphold a gospel that was just simply be a good person. It's all the same, you know, just love God and love people. It was a Christianity without a cross and resurrection, really. So you have grandma and grandpa who have passed away since then, and they were serious believers. And their church at the time had some things that were concerning to them. They were kind of oblivious to it. And they were just there with their Bibles and they loved the Lord and and they were there every Sunday, and it was all about Christ. And then their, their adult kids, who now are like in their 60s and 70s, they just sort of embraced this kind of loose, light version of Christianity to where, yeah, they're going to be there, but it wasn't the ultimate party in their life. And then they now raise kids who are my age, I'm 41, who... Now, church is a good thing and a nice thing, but everything else is more important. And they were raised without any real theological convictions. They were raised, somehow it shifted to, they were raised to like be a good person, say your prayers, kind of like Hulk Hogan, say your prayers and eat your vitamins, brother. You know what I mean? That, that, that kind of idea is what the faith sort of became to them. So I think a lot of it can be traced back to how churches drifted. And it started, you know, claiming people that, or people would claim that church would never actually go to it. And they show up on Mother's Day because it makes Nana happy and Christmas Eve and Easter. And everybody acts like things are fine and everything's great because we got the family picture and everything's okay. So I think, and there's more to it than that, but I think we can trace it to some of those kind of things. A growing kind of evangelical light church growth culture that gave people church attendance and life principles and not much gospel. And, but also on the other side of the coin, a mainline Protestant faith that abandoned more and more and more about uh, of the gospel. Uh, I think there's more, but I think those are two for our listeners 
kind of big things that took place. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a good kind of a baseline for where we're going on that. Now, you mentioned something kind of at the beginning of that, how it came out of the seeker-sensitive and preaching to those needs and those kind of things approach and the church growth movement, uh, let's say it that way. Uh, and I want to move toward that second book where you talked about the um, Mums the Word, I think was the chapter title in, in, in uh, Getting Over Yourself, where you talked about because we omitted some of the difficult teachings, the strict, hey, here's what God's Word expects, the gospel impact on those things, that because of our the way we taught maybe for a while led to a belief that my lifestyle, what I'm doing, this must be okay. I, I think that may be maybe where I saw the tie between the two in that how we taught maybe led to this and a recovery of true biblical gospel-centered teaching is going to be the way out. Yeah, I mean, I, that's that's really our only remedy. Like, we have to combat it with that. So I, I think that, but again, when, whenever the goal and the win was just how many people come on a Sunday morning, we got into a dangerous place. And, you know, and I, I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not, you know, the person that's trying to call the kettle black here, the pot calling the kettle black. I pastor what we call what we consider a mega church. And, but here's the thing. Mega churches thrive off of cultural Christianity because there's an, especially living in a big city, there's enough critical mass of cultural Christianity that comes once a month in order to fill a room. So we see a room filled, and the guy, if your goal is simply just to have the room filled and go, wow, look what God is doing here. It's a packed house. We had to bring in chairs, right? Extra chairs. Then a lot of times, what can happen is you want to do whatever you can to keep that crowd. So you're going to avoid tough topics. You're going to simply do ear tickling. And that's, again, that's not even close to everyone, but this is a very common trend. And before you know it, you see yourself as a TED talker, as like kind of a professional communicator, uh, rather than actually someone who's coming with the, that sharp ed, you know, edge sword that is the word of God and, and you know, calling sin and lifting up Christ and calling for repentance and the need for grace in their life and salvation that only comes through faith and and rather, instead, you're doing talks on whatever the latest trends are of the day. And that can be anything from politics to self-help to wellness to how to be a better friend. And eventually, you got to realize that people can get those kind of talks outside of church. And they've started doing that. Yeah. So I'll so just watch a YouTube video of a guy who tickles my ears and uses a little bit of faith language so I feel good enough about it. And now we see cultural Christianity continue to happen. But rather than it being simply, I'm a good person and I have you know, a generic belief in God. Now it's, I am a cultural Christian, but God's my co-pilot and he's helping me get here. And so I use spiritual language to justify, you know, your obsession with yourself and wellness and all those kind of things. As a side note, I would like to say, I grew up in a town in Georgia where the guy who wrote the book, God is my co-pilot is from. So I just wanted to throw that in real quickly, but you know, one of the things, um, yeah, just kind of, kind of hitting on some of those things too. One of the I think bright spots um, that we're seeing in churches and, and Dean, I, I think as an observer from city church from afar, uh, you guys seem to be doing this is that there is this generation of college students that are simply going, okay, you know, the fluff, I can get that at the sorority. I can get that at the organizational campus. And so they are asking some really working with college students is, all of the advice questions, all of the relationship stuff, when 
when the gospel becomes at the center of those things, college kids are responding to that. And I think the parents that you've talked about earlier, okay, our parents aren't going to church. They're not taking kids to church. Now all of a sudden they've got college kids coming back going, you know, there's, there's gotta be more to uh, this Christian belief system than what we got, you know, or they become very passionate followers of Jesus. And it's actually uh, causing some uncomfortable conversations to happen at the Thanksgiving table because of, of this. So it does seem that if we're willing to be very bold in the gospel, to not apologize for it, and to, and to really relate all of life back to it, there are people responding to that. And I, I think it is having those uncomfortable conversations between moms and dads and kids. And, but again, like you said, well, my kid's just really into it. I'm just as much of a Christian as as they are, they're just really into it at this phase. Do you see that happening with some Ooh, of the college yeah. kids? Oh man, when when someone who was raised in a cultural Christian home and then goes to college, gets connected to a gospel-centered church, gives their life to Christ, gets serious about Jesus, they come home for Thanksgiving and their parents think they joined a cult. <laughs> I mean, and they're and they're like a and they're like offended by it. It's like, what do you mean you're getting baptized? Are you trying to say you weren't baptized? Like, are you trying to say that we're not good? people that we're not christians like no no no. so we almost have to like chill our college students out a little bit because they're the most theologically serious and sound and passionate people in our church because here's the deal you can't survive modern day college campus with a generic cultural christian faith it's going to go away altogether so these are and then also we're making sure we're not hiding them from the world we're not trying to create a holy huddle for them either we're trying to equip them and prepare them for missions. They can go make a difference on campus. But, but we're seeing Christian evangelical college students get more and more legit in what they believe because they know they can't do this kind of half-hearted, you know, kind of version of Christianity. They just can't. So it's been really, really encouraging to see. I mean, our college students are fired up. They're reading stuff that I didn't read until I was in seminary. I mean, they're, they love the church. They have high expectations for the church of Jesus Christ. And they're also a part of it, but they don't treat us as they're, they're not parachurch kids, even though we think parachurch is great. And there's certainly a place for it. Uh, they're local church students, you know, and they're getting fully involved, bringing their friends, getting disciples, having multi-generational mentors, sneak things like that happening. But the cultural Christian family, I mean, when their students come home, they're going, what in the world is going on? We're also seeing, since our students are real serious about theology, they are totally have a distaste for the kind of Instagram version of Christianity. You know, the guy, the guy that's on, you know, the guy that's on the appears on their phone that's trying to look 30 years younger than he is and give them the self-help message. They're rolling their eyes to that kind of stuff and trying to point their friends away from it to the actual gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, I think when you go home and you do that cultural Christianity environment, it's a threat to it. Because well, oh, it's it will have what I taught you all these years. Is it not legitimate? Is that not real? And then they have to begin to question their own faith if they've got something that seems more genuine, more real, more total being than what they've grown up with. And now it's like, well, maybe I'm not really a Christian. And so it's a challenge even when you go back into that culture. Well, and even consider the churches where they go back for the summer and the church has a cultural Christianity um, nature to it. And they're like, hey, you know, little Bobby's coming home for college. Let him work with the youth. Now, the we get into this chair, too, where this kid's fired up with the gospel and really wants to teach youth well. And they tell him to tone it down because, you know, kids will never understand that these days. Why you can't teach, you know, my, 
my son just took the ACT yesterday. I'm assuming he studied for it. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. There's James but, Pruitt who says that they can handle trigonometry and algebra. Yes. And absolutely. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's confronting parents, it's confronting churches, and, uh, but it's so good. I, there's, there's a young couple here in our town and the Lord was so gracious and, and our dealings with them and uh, goodness, you know, he and I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. He's a big football card collector and I am too. And we were talking about some football card stuff and I, I am too. See, there, you know, this is uh, you know, there's a great Facebook site. Anyway, I get distracted. There's a great Facebook page though for that. And, um, Anyway, we're talking all of a sudden he just we were talking about some ministry stuff. He goes, Danny, I just I've got these Mormon friends and man, they believe the lie. And I mean, for 30 minutes, this guy's just I mean, he's broken hearted over this. And, uh, you know, I was just rejoicing because I'm going, this kid's 23 years old, fired up for the gospel. And all I want to do at this point in my life is go, how can I help him? How can how can we get this guy just equipped to take that passion and reach his friends with the gospel? Yeah. I mean, and buy more yeah, football cards too. So. Buy more football cards. I think it's encourage it, celebrate it. You know, sometimes a passion reach your friends with the gospel. It's time to go all in, but, but I'll prepare them that this is different, you know, today. Like it's going to be a long haul. It's not a one and done conversation. It's a long haul. I think we've got to equip people to be willing to be disappointed for a minute, you know, be willing to get shut down sometimes. Um, I, I think that we have to cultivate that in people's lives. And then, and, and even their family thinks they're crazy. I, I think we're going to see a generation really understand for the first time what Paul meant when he said the gospel's foolishness to those who are perishing. You know, I, I think we're going to see an American generation have to face that maybe in ways that we didn't have to growing up. So we're sorry, we're having to now, they didn't have to growing up. We're going to see a generation know nothing different than that. I think it's really an exciting time to be in the church and in leading in the church because of the potential with the generation that's coming up now and their desire Definitely. to be yep. genuine and not to be just a cultural Christian. So maybe this week. Yeah, right. And they're serious. Yeah. Right. So maybe as we wrap this conversation up, if, if you were to say to a, a chair to leader or any leader, really, what are some of those maybe three, two or three things you would say if you want to. Uh, make Jesus the center of your ministry. If you're trying to bring back from this cultural Christianity, from the believe in yourself religion, as you called it in your other book, what are some two or three pointers to do that effectively and just maybe even starting out in ministry? Yeah, one, I think you got to love the church. You know, we, we don't need guys that just want to preach or just want to work for a church and hide behind a calling, air quotes, calling, you know, to, to do that. We need guys who actually love the local church and unapologetically are fans of it and believe in it and actually do believe it's God's plan A, you know, to reach, to reach the world, start in our own communities. I, I'm not, I can't underestimate that enough. I think it's a huge deal. Like I want people that work at our church. Uh, I'm the lead guy, but like for those at other chairs, I want them to, uh, we hire most of our people from within uh, because we're hiring people who already were members of our church and loved our church before they came on staff at our church. I'm not saying everyone has to do that, uh, but to create that kind of culture where you're, you're raising up leaders, where you don't have to go find resumes every time a new position. If someone sent me a text and say, hey, man, we need a student guy. Hey, man, we need a singles person. Do you have anybody in mind? I'm like, you don't have one person in your church. 
that you can sit down with and have a conversation with and let them be green and let them be inexperienced, but walk with them and help them you know, like, like hire people who love your church. So I, for those that don't do that, at least cultivate a culture, you know, of people on your staff who love their church that has to happen. Um, and then from there, I think I said at the very beginning, we need to kind of rethink our evangelism strategies and to make sure that our evangelism strategies are not simply designed for skeptics and unbelievers. And by unbelievers, I mean, who know they're unbelievers. But we're, we're helping our people think about how do I talk to my family member? How do I, because who doesn't think they're, who think, who doesn't think they're an unbeliever? You know, how do I talk to my coworkers? How do we do that? And then I think we, if Christians, I've heard Tim Keller say this, I'm, I'm, I, that's not a quote, but I'm ripping the idea off of him, that the future of successful Christian ministry in our country could be Christians rethinking the marketplace, you know, and, and just rethinking how they approach their vocations and their jobs. Uh, that, that mindset that you go on a mission trip every time you get in your car and go out of your driveway, you know, that you're going on a mission trip and really help people think that way and add value to it. Uh, so that we're having, you know, so that could look like having things at your church where as, as an executive pastor or as, you know, associate ministries guy, whatever it might be, you're organizing events around faith at work and encouraging people in that realm and, and, and pushing people towards that. I, I think that we have to really see ourselves as missionaries in our own communities. And for those who are on church staffs, seeing ourselves also, not just as, as, as in pushing people to mission, but being on mission ourselves, because people aren't going to do something that you're not doing either. So, so I think we have to figure out ways to do that. Um, I, I don't think you can grow a student ministry in the office. You know, I, I don't think you can be a missionary for your hometown behind a desk every day. And we need pastors who are out there, who are regulars at restaurants and coffee shops and who are coaching Little League baseball teams and who are part of the communities. And I think those are things that come to mind. If we're going to really reach the next generation, we got to be out there and be a part of our communities and a part of everyday life. And we need more pastors and, and executive pastors and youth guys who are normal dudes, you know, who, who have abnormal beliefs. We believe in Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, you know, um, but, but are regular guys who can talk to people and and, 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 and do normal stuff and be parts of the community and not the kind of people they find out they don't want to talk to you and they find out you're a pastor because they're weirded out by that. But almost people that are shocked and they find out you find out you are a pastor, not because of anything in your lifestyle that would be contradictory to that or your speech being contradictory to that. But the fact that you're just a regular guy, they can just hang out and talk and just have normal conversations about things. And I just think we need to see that happen and cultivate that if we're really going to want to reach our communities. And I think it's a heart issue and a philosophy issue at the same time. Man, that's great stuff there, Dean. I appreciate it. If you're listening today, make sure you write, go back, write those things down. That's some good advice starting out. Yeah, those absolutely. Books, those two books we've talked about today, The Unsaved Christian and Getting Over Yourself. If you don't have a copy of them, haven't read them, get one, read them. You'll be blessed by them. But, Dean, I think you have another book coming out, too, don't you? Yeah, it comes out in uh, the first week in May. I'm not sure we're airing this, but the first week in May. And it's called Pure, and it's why uh, God's design for sexuality is not oppressive, irrelevant, or outdated. And it's looking at how there's so much angst right now about purity culture that Christians are just like, especially talking young adults, like under 35, single Christians that are just like angry about purity culture. And I, when I, and, and I worry that in that, we're also starting to throw the baby out the bathwater and not talking about God's design. So just because purity culture has failures and missteps doesn't mean that God still isn't clear. So the book talks about how we should think through anything from cohabitation to sex and marriage to homosexuality to adultery, pornography, everything you can imagine from a Christian lens in terms of how to think about that. So it's helpful for the churches. I was right for the church, so I hope it's helpful.
Yeah, look for that coming out. Probably out in a week or two after this airs. So yeah, you can uh, get just, it now. You can pre-order and get it now. So thank y'all for asking about it. Go ahead and pre-order that, and Dean will appreciate it. So he'll thank you later for it. That's right. <laughs> and, and I do. I'll, I just have one quick question before we go. Um, it, Dean, explain the word jabroni because I don't think most people know that phrase uh, and can articulate it well. Yeah. So I appreciate that you have kept that word in the vernacular. Yes, it's an old wrestling term uh, to uh, talk about someone who uh, maybe is uh, sort of a dweeb or uh, acting like one, and uh, you, where you call them a jabroni. The Iron Sheik back in the 80s used to say it, and The Rock in the 90s during the Attitude Era, WWE That's made right. a very famous one, jabroni. So you don't want to be a jabroni. That's exactly right, and which is probably going to be book four, I think, in this series. Yeah, um, don't that, be a jabroni. Uh, that's right. Somewhere down the line. <laughs> a Twitter uh, expose, maybe. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that, yeah, that's for don't sure. <laughs> so, well, thanks for listening uh, into Chair Two Leaders this week. Hope you have a great one. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to Chair Two Leaders. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for the latest updates. And make sure you rate, review, and subscribe to Chair Two Leaders wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.